0: Hi everybody, welcome back to Exploring Education, where I'm documenting my progress towards my master's program. This podcast is going to be the second in my coaching journal series, so these are specifically about how I'm taking on the role as a leader, as a coach um, to other teachers in my department in part one i talked about enrolling teachers to join an optional plc focused on personalization this episode is going to really be two parts the second half i'm going to continue my reflection on how my optional professional learning community has been going but before we get to that the first part i'm going to be talking specifically about my experience with one teacher who kind of signed on for a little more hands-on coaching um, to where I'm observing his class and giving, having meetings with him about specific ideas and strategies. So I'm gonna talk about that first, and then after I'm done talking about him, I'll talk more broadly about how the rest of the group has been going. So for one of the grad school classes that I'm in right now, my task throughout the semester is to practice being a coach practice one-on-one coaching a teacher identifying a need um, for their classroom helping them learn a new tool or strategy to address that need and meeting a goal so you'll see more episodes as we progress through that at this point we were just identifying a need and a goal for the classroom and so that's what i'm going to talk about today so when i learned that I was going to have to do this and pick a one-on-one person who's willing to have me as a coach, I knew that the people who had already signed up to join my professional learning community would be a good, you know, pool to choose from. Uh, Obviously, these are people who are already open to learning new things that are open specifically to learning from me, which imposter syndrome, I still don't understand why. Um, And uh, who, you know, see a need to grow and change somehow in their classroom. So I knew that they, and they're people that I have a good relationship with already, which is another important factor. So I asked all of them if any of them were interested, and one of my peers volunteered to kind of sign up for this one-on-one coaching. He is a first-year teacher. Um and so I think that's a big part of why he signed on for one-on-one coaching. He felt like out of everybody in the group, he probably had the most room to grow. That being said, he's a fantastic teacher regardless of how many years he's been doing this. He has so much energy, and he get, I've never seen somebody get his students more excited um, than he does. So we started this process with a Classroom observation, but even before that, we had a meeting about what I should be doing in the observation, what he thought I needed to be looking for. And through that conversation, we decided that when I observe his class, I should be looking for ratio of interaction data. So, ratio of interaction data refers to the ratio of positive to negative interactions. That he has with a student and positive and negative doesn't refer necessarily to his behavior, like whether he is has a positive or negative tone or whatever, but it's about what the students were doing at the time he needed to interact with them. Were they on task? So that would be positive interaction and he's you know chiming in to check in on them or to give praise for seeing them do their work or is the student off task on their phones you know chatting with their friends and in that case his interaction would be more like a redirection. So it was keeping track of all of those interactions every time he interacted with a student was it because the student's behavior was positive or negative. Um, That's what I was keeping track of and I'm not going to lie at the end of my Classroom observation and that data collection, I was feeling a little bit lost with the data. So the problem was that I had this, these all these notes. I had three pages of notes from his class at what time he interacted with each student, and then like a brief context of what the interaction was. And so the data collection part. I think I did really well. I felt good about it. I had all this data. The problem was I didn't know what the data was telling me. Um, and I felt kind of lost in the sauce for a little bit. I was just looking at this list of information. I, you know, I figured out the ratio. It was basically four positive interactions to three negatives. But then I was like, well, what does that tell me? What did I learn about, about Nick as a teacher? So I toiled over it a little bit trying to find a pattern and eventually found one but I will say that was something I didn't anticipate as a coach was like I knew how to collect the data I didn't have any questions about that but then I didn't know what to do with the data but I finally figured it out a pattern something that was actually useful to me as a coach and to Nick as a teacher and it had to do with when positive and negative interactions were happening and basically what I saw was that Across the 55-minute class, Nick had a total of 12 negative interactions, so a need to redirect a student or um, help a student who doesn't understand. 12 in 55 minutes, but 5 out of those 12 were in the last 10 minutes of class. So he had almost 50% of his negative interactions happened in 10 minutes versus you know, the other a little bit over 50% happening in 45 minutes. So that's kind of what we focused on What I ended up leading us to was that his last 10 minutes of class could be used better. That's what we came up with. But man, I sure was lost when I first got that data. I wasn't sure what it was telling me. The second kind of challenge, I guess it's a challenge. It was something I wasn't anticipating having to contend with um, as a coach. But the second thing was um, the challenge of keeping the conversation between Nick and myself on a really linear path. And that's has to do a little bit with who it is that I'm coaching. Um, Everybody in my department will tell you that he talks a lot and he kind of rambles, especially I think when he's talking about something that makes him uncomfortable. He will go on and on. And I found that throughout our conversation, you know, we're following these very clear, linear questions from my textbook that are supposed to go from point A to point B. Point A being let's reflect on the lesson and point B being this is our goal that we're going to try to reach and how we're going to get there. So it should have been pretty straightforward, but I found, um, that we kind of meandered and kept having to come back to, but this is the data that we were taking and this is where we started and this was what you saw as important. So like, let's stick with that instead of all these other things. And what I was learning as a coach through that experience was, um, how much I should interject because really I do believe that the best coach is kind of a guide who uh, lets the teacher kind of get to what they need to fix in their own classroom themselves because nobody knows their classroom better than the teacher who's running it. So I was really trying not to take the lead in this conversation and let Nick lead. But what I had to learn was like, When I could jump in, when it was appropriate to kind of get him back on track without stepping on his toes or just making the conversation about what I wanted it to be about. Um, And so that was definitely a skill for me to learn is like, how much is appropriate for the coach to kind of control the, the flow of the conversation? And it certainly was at least a little bit required of me in my conversation with Nick about my ratio of interaction data you know now that i'm thinking about it part of the challenge too is that i want it to be conversational i think that's a really important part of a good coaching relationship is that it shouldn't i shouldn't sound like a robot reading you know the specific questions i'm supposed to ask which i did read the questions but to just say like okay you've answered the question now we must move on is no one's going to want to listen to a person like that it should be comfortable to talk. And so at least I can reflect on that as maybe a positive is that Nick felt comfortable he felt like he was chatting with a friend and not just like a we're sitting down and having, you know, very important meeting. It was comfortable to kind of talk naturally. So there's that. But I certainly did feel like there were times where we know when we're asking the questions about the goal And he starts talking about a strategy he likes, which is modeling. And then he's like, oh, my goal should be about modeling. And I had to remind him, well, remember your data is about, you know, the last 10 minutes of class. Like that's kind of what we started talking about is is engaging the students more at the end of the class period. We did end up tying his love of modeling into those last 10 minutes, but he needed the reminder that, like, oh, right, that, that's what we're talking about today because our conversation had meandered so uh, casually, I guess. So the goal that we ended up coming up with was that the students would hold engagement through the last 10 minutes of class because those negative interactions also went along with something we both noticed was that a lot of the students were finishing up. And so for those who were done they didn't have anything to do. So then they, you know, get off task, they start playing around and that's when he has to redirect and call them down. So Nick also pointed out for himself that if he loses 10 minutes of class every day for five days, then that's like an entire class period wasted that adds up to 50 minutes. And so he recognized it as something that would be really important to change. And so that was the goal was to increase student engagement for the end of the class period. Each day especially with his seventh period class because we're on a seven period schedule that's the end of the day and they're ready to go home Um, and the strategy that we decided that he could implement for those kids who finished early is that they use that time to self assess their work so that that point the end of class he would provide his model of what the work should look like at that point and then they compare their finished work to his example and use the rubric to grade themselves and see how they did based on his expectations. Um, It's a great formative assessment. It improves student executive functioning to be able to do that metacognition over their own work and that reflection. Um, And for those who finished the work early, it is a good extension For them to differentiate upwards, which is something that gets left out so much, but those kids who finished early need more of a challenge and self assessing is a challenge for students. So that was the goal that we decided on was increasing engagement and the strategy to do so was to provide these tools for self assessment. So, I'm going to shift gears here now um, and talk about how things have been going in my personalized learning um, community. So, <clears throat> if you're my professor for 7460, you don't have to listen to this part if you don't want to, but I do want to reflect on it. <laughs> so, in my first episode where I recruited people to join this professional learning community, Um, My biggest kind of insecurity at the time was that people wouldn't find what I was offering valuable enough to commit an hour every week to the process. And my confidence is still a little shaky on that. I had one member tell me that she Exactly that. That she not that my what I was doing was invaluable. That would be mean. But she said that she just couldn't commit the time to making such changes to her curriculum. Um, so she's not joining us in meetings anymore. And I've also had another teacher, you know, kind, basically kind of said, "I'm just not sure I get it yet," and so that's making me worry. I'm not doing enough to lead everybody. So I want to talk about what I've done. In that first meeting, I kind of gave a big overview of what personalized learning is, all nine conditions of personalized learning that are for the state of Georgia. And then at the end of the meeting, everybody who said that they were going to join um, wrote down which of those conditions, you know, with the brief, you know, overview I gave they identified which of those conditions they were most interested in. So then I used that information that they gave me to create a shared folder of materials for everybody. And so I created a shared folder where Microsoft School. So I use our OneDrive accounts to do so. And so there's like a kind of overall professional learning community folder. And then within that, I made subfolders for the areas of learning that they identified as the ones they're interested in starting with. Uh, I was doing this kind of to make it a little easier on myself that like in providing ideas and resources and strategies for them, you know, like I'm not having to do all nine at once. I can kind of start with what they want to start with and then I can gradually over the course of the semester add more material. So I think that has been working really well. Everybody's been able to access the resources that are in there. Um, but I'm not sure how often they're really going to those. I know that for the first two meetings, everybody was reading the stuff I'd posted. Everybody was reading it. And I felt really good about it. Um, but then, like I said, I, I had one member of my team say that she felt like she still didn't quite get it. And so at this point I have had five, sorry, four meetings since that first introductory one. So four meetings of like the people who committed to join and I'm deciding to shift the format a little bit. So let's talk about that. (laughs) My vision for this team and for this group is that it would be a gradual release of responsibility over the course of the semester. Like it started with me leading the entire meeting for a full hour. And then my first four meetings has been I would start with presenting some kind of tool or strategy that I've used. And so that usually takes about half of our time a little less than half of our time on me presenting something and explaining one of the conditions that it could go with. Right. Because like under the condition of learner agency, there are like 30 different things you could do to meet that condition. So I'm just trying to give them a little bit of a taste. Um, And then the rest of the time, what I wanted was for it to be just time for people to work and to collaborate. And that everybody should be working on something different because that is the spirit of personalized learning. I wanted to model it as well as teach how to do it to our kids, for our kids. So um, I wanted them to see what a personalized learning space looks like. And it should be that everybody's working on something different, but I'm there to facilitate and help as they need questions. And they're also free to help each other. What I found was that they would kind of um, latch on to the tool I present at the beginning and and spend the rest of their time just thinking about how to use that tool. And now that's not a bad use of their time, but it's more short-sighted than what I had envisioned for this group. It was like, yeah, this is a strategy you could use. I didn't mean everybody had to try it right now. Everybody can work on whatever they like right now. And so I've kind of had to um, address that expectation a little bit and say, like, you don't have to do this, you guys. Just because I showed you a way to use branching for adaptive assessment doesn't mean you have to make an adaptive quiz today. Like, that's not the goal. Um, so that was one thing that kind of has shifted um Another thing is that I thought that during our independent work time, I would be able to spend more time creating materials and resources for them to put into those folders. But I really have no time whatsoever, which is a good thing. It means they're using me. You know, I'm constantly answering questions or helping with this or that. Um, and they're helping each other a lot. So those things have been super positive and exactly what I wanted to see. Um But I also found when I'm checking in on the projects and the stuff they're designing for their classroom or the new strategies they want to use, and I'll say, oh, okay, so you're um, using this RAFT strategy for your writing. Which condition of personalized learning does that meet? And that team member wasn't able to answer that question. Which also means that they don't have enough of a grasp on PL because that's where they should be starting is, oh, I want to increase, for example, learner agency, so I'm going to do this. And it kind of flip-flopped to where the strategies were more important, and they weren't sure how it related to personalized learning. So those are the problems that I have seen in the way I designed the format of our meetings. And basically, I talked to everybody about it today because it's a collaborative space. I don't want to be the leader of this group you know, it should be that we're all leading in some ways, should be more collaborative. So I asked them about it today and, or I'm sorry, it was yesterday at our last meeting. And they said, they think I should be doing more direct instruction, like give a lesson on today we're going over the condition of X and I'll teach you everything about it and lots of strategies. And I asked about, you know, that makes it less personalized and less customized. It means we're all going to be working on the same condition instead of you being able to pick the one you're most interested in. And they, the consensus was they're okay with sacrificing the customization for a deeper understanding of the work, which is fine. Um, So that's been a big shift that will start at our next meeting. So I'm recording this on a Thursday and we meet on Wednesdays. So I have a little less than a week to shift the format of the way my meetings work. It's not what I expected, but I have always said that what I love about personalized learning with my students when I've done it in my classroom, what I love about it is that you don't always know what your classroom is going to look like because the kids can help you change it. And that's the same thing that's happening with this meeting group except it's, you know, they're adults instead of kids, but So I'm rolling with it. I'm hoping I'm going to see that better understanding of personalized learning that I was worried that I wasn't imparting. Um, I was so focused on letting it be voluntary and you're able to do as much or as little as you want and not wanting to be too much of a burden that I wasn't offering them enough. Um, So that's what I learned, you know, in my first four meetings. And... I'll check in again in about a month to see how it's going in the spring.